Transition. The dictionary defines transition as movement or passage. It's change from one position, from one state, from one stage, one subject, one concept, just one set of circumstances to the next. The second simple definition of transition is change. In, in my ministry, and I know this was true long before I even thought about getting into ministry, change and the church have had an interesting relationship with one another, okay? In, in recent times, even, there's been a very special relationship between change and the church. The bulk of church growth and church leadership resources is aimed at a, a few things. It'll either describe how the church is resistant to change, and here's how to overcome the resistance, or it will describe to leaders that change is inevitable, and here's how you navigate the change. But there will always be some description of change and what you have to do. There may even be some literature that reacts to that and says, no, there's no change whatsoever, and here's how we keep things from changing. But if you go to Scripture and you look for what Scripture says about change, Scripture says that the church changes in all the ways that really matter. That the church is redeemed. That means that we go from uh, a state of uselessness to God and we transition to a state of being very useful to God. The church repents. We repent of the worldly ways and we come into His light and we learn how to do things in His way. The church is called to be holy. Peter, in his epistle, his first epistle, says, uh, you, need to, it's, you need to remember what God says. Be holy as I am holy. Paul, in his writings, will talk about the church becoming perfect, which is a way of saying that the church has to mature. Scripture is full of descriptions of how the church changes. Sometimes the church has to respond to outward forces. In Acts chapter 8, I'm sure that all of the disciples living in Jerusalem were very content with the property that they owned and where they were at. But persecution breaks out and the church is scattered. And yet God uses this scattering to accomplish His purposes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. There is change that goes on around the church. And because of that, the church responds to that change. They transition. If nothing else, they have to get up and move. In Acts 15, the church is responding to a very significant change, one that we take for granted. Most people, by the time you see the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, they thought that this whole thing called church would just be a sort of a Jewish thing, that the children of Abraham were accepting the Messiah and some were rejecting him. But then all of a sudden, these Gentiles who have no background at all, they, they start coming into the church and God is giving them the Holy Spirit. How are we going to respond to this change? And the church looks very different in Antioch than it does in Jerusalem. And there are some problems in the church in Galatia. And Paul responds to the fact that they're not adjusting to the change very well. What if all this church growth literature, what if all this church growth strategy that, that talks about the special relationship between change and the church... What if all of that comes about because somewhere in the last 200 years or so, and maybe even building on thinking and history before that, what if somewhere along the line we got the idea that the church 
never changes. That the church is some eternal concept and that we have to work in the name of the church, do what we do in the name of the church, do what we do to preserve the church, and what if Scripture never really backed us on that like we, like we think? I'm just asking you to think about this. Because one of the first things I want to affirm is something that we should all know. You are the church. The church is us. We cannot glorify the church because if we did, we'd be glorifying ourselves. The church, you, me, the church, we glorify God. In Scripture, God is that which is unchanging. God is the one who is constant. God is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The church is always in some sort of state of transition. Now, uh, b- before you get very nervous here, because I guess I'm nervous preaching about church and change. It seems like every time you put those two words together, you're just asking for it. But I- I'm, not, I'm not trying to advocate something or come up with some kind of agenda. I'm just trying to recognize the fact that the things that we want to hold on to and become constant, the things that we want to keep the same, and it's not God's agenda to keep it the same, that becomes an idol that tears us away from God. Israel would do that in their day. Israel tried to keep their cultural purity and, 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 and the teachings that God gave them, and they would turn those into idols. When you look at the story of, of the brass serpent that, that was given to the children of Israel to protect them from the, uh, the, the snakes, later on, what started out as a good thing becomes something that can become a bad thing because they worship what God has given rather than the God who gives. We need to be very careful of that. I want you to take us to one scripture while we talk about a time of transition, while we're talking about a time of change. And there are many of these that will come along. 1 Peter chapter 5, this, this is an encouragement for church leaders, and you might say that this might, this might be some of the earliest literature on change, on transitions. And here, Peter acknowledges that transitions are happening and they're going to happen but he also acknowledges that which does not change. I just want to read this, uh, 1 Peter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who've been entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, 
standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter has recognized that there are transitions going on in the churches of Asia, the churches that he's writing to. This wisdom is being left for people like us, that even though we think that things may be the same, and sometimes we have, we have no larger scope of things other than, than, uh, than our, our own lifetime. We tend to stop and say, well, that's not the way we've always done things. No, it's not. Uh, whether you like the songs on any particular Sunday or not, uh, you know, because it may be what's familiar to you or it may be what's new. Hey, you need to understand this. English is an innovation, okay? That's a change. They didn't start out with English hymns. So these transitions are going on and sometimes they create anxiety. Peter has addressed the transitions that a church can go through. And here are the things that he says, and I think this is good teaching for us. Peter acknowledges, first of all, that there is anxiety. He acknowledges that that anxiety may look like forms of suffering. I want to remind you of something that we said last week. That more often than not, we forget that that the decision to follow Christ can cost people. That, that when you come from a, uh, a culture or a, a land, a nation, where it is not easy to follow Christ, that may cost you greatly to follow Him. That's going to create suffering. That's going to create anxiety. And sometimes even in our culture, as, as we wonder what it means to give up the, the successes of the world or, the, or the, uh, the favor of the world, it may cost us. And that's going to cause anxiety, and that's going to cause suffering. And that's to be expected, says Peter. So when we see anxiety and suffering, that doesn't mean that God is not kind to us anymore. Beware of the teaching that says that if you're experiencing suffering or anxiety, it means that somehow you have displeased God and He's punishing you. That's not always the case. Christ bore up under suffering. Peter, over and over again in his letter, will mention the example of Christ who endured suffering. He didn't deserve it, but he endured it. That wasn't God's disfavor. God vindicated him. When we go through anxiety and when we go through suffering, it's good for us to recognize it and to recognize that there are transitions that cause anxiety. Now, of course, we've talked about a lot of things that are pretty serious, but let's be honest. Sometimes it's the stuff that's not so serious that causes us anxiety, right? Let's just be honest about it. I'm not putting anybody down. I, you know, I get really upset when I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've adjusted to the fact that I have to wear glasses now, okay? I've adjusted to that. But that was really upsetting to me. It caused me a lot of anxiety. Some of you are thinking, huh, just wait, okay? I get it. I get it. I'm confessing. Now, when I can't find my glasses when they're not supposed to be where they're at, I get really upset. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just, the, it's just, you know, I mean, I tend to handle larger things pretty well, but with these little things that get me all upset. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes it's those things that cause us anxiety. 
one of the best things we can do is just name it. Whether it's something very serious or something very petty, let's just name it. The second thing that Peter does then is he talks about different generations needing one another. That's one of the ways we manage these things. We learn a lot from each other in different generations. And by the way, different generations represent transitions. Aging is a transition. When you age, you change. You see, people know it. Well, you're not supposed to laugh about this. Yes, you are. You're not going to survive it otherwise, okay? Things change. And if you, you know, ask someone older than you, and they'll explain this to you, maybe more than you want to know. But one of the, thing, the reasons why things change is because the world around us changes, and we have to adjust to that. And a lot of us, I think, adjust better than we know, but it's just the fact that we have to adjust. Um, I guess we made a decision in our, you know, in our religious movement that, that we didn't just pick a single time period and stick there. I respect the Amish. Somewhere right around 1837, they just said, we're just going to quit right here. You know? And if there's any Amish listening to this recording, well, no, they're not listening to this recording. So anyway, but you... <laughs> just pick a time. I mean, they didn't give up technology. They've got technology. They've got wagon wheels and lanterns. That's technology. Uh, just pick a time and just say, let's just camp out right there. But we've decided that that's not a way to engage the world as much as we would like to. Not to engage the world because we, we want what the world has to offer, but to engage the world because we know that God loves the world. Okay? Everybody's got to make their own decisions here. But we've made this decision that we feel that God has called us to interact with a world around us, a world that He cares about very much. And we believe then that different generations can help us in this because we see what Peter says about these different generations. He's not just talking to elders in terms of church officers, okay? Uh, Elders were very likely in their community the oldest, the wisest people in the community, and they were people who had a role of teaching. They had a responsibility to pass on wisdom to those who were younger than them. That's still true today. But let's recognize a change as we start this process of selecting shepherds. The fact of the matter is, is that some of the shepherds that we select in our day and age with the way that, you know, the kind of uh, benefits that we have in our society, we may have shepherds that are 30 to 40 years younger than some of the oldest members of this congregation. Now, and sometimes that becomes rather entertaining to us. But at the same time, the, the, the elders know and the other generations know that there's wisdom that can be shared, that we need one another. Peter describes it like this. The older members of the church family have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to teach, to nurture, to encourage those who are younger. Now, if you're thinking, well, now, wait, which one of us are the older ones? You're all the older ones. At some point, you're always older than someone else, okay? Now, the only ones that that would not apply to are the ones who don't even understand what I'm saying, okay? But, you know, if if you're one of our teenagers, 
You're setting an example for the younger ones. You have a responsibility to encourage and nurture them. Now, ultimately, that gets expressed in the way that we have elders for the church. But it applies to all of us. If you're younger than other generations, and that's mostly true of all of us here. For a few, it won't be. But as long as you're one of the younger ones, you have a responsibility to respect those who've gone before you because they have something to teach you. They have something to share with you. Peter describes that relationship in this, in this text that we've just read. Third thing that Peter says is that we need to always maintain our behavior and our maturity. That one of the ways that we deal with transitions and change is to be humble and keep alert. As we go through change, as we go through transitions, the anxiety, and here's one of the, the, the negative things about anxiety. And remember, look at point one there. You've got to name the anxiety. Just go ahead and embrace it. Anxiety is real. Uh, it, may, it can be turned into something beneficial. Okay? Peter even says that when you go through times of suffering, you endure hardship like a servant of Christ, and you'll bring glory to Him. If you bear up for doing the right thing and you're punished for it. But what you do not get credit for, what does not bring glory to God, is when you misbehave. And one of the downsides of anxiety is it can cause us to misbehave. We can get angry. We can get mad at others. We can take our anxiety out on other people. We can blame other people for the changes that we don't like. We can blame other people for making us feel bad. We can put all the problems on other people and never look at how God wants us to grow up. This is why Peter says you need to humble yourself. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. When you're anxious, when when you're going through trials, if you're just annoyed, you still need to behave yourself. Because you don't want to get yourself into a situation where God is going to have to oppose you. You don't get a pass for that. Sometimes our reasoning is no better than little children. If God were to say to us, why are you behaving this way? Well, you don't know what they've been doing. You don't know what those other people have been doing in the church. Why are you misbehaving? Because your brother and sister are picking on you. See, the logic doesn't wash when you reduce it to an elementary level. Uh, One of the things that we've always said, and some of you I know maybe haven't been here as long, but one of the things that, this is kind of one of our little lessons that we teach each other around here. In times of anxiety and in times of transition, we all may feel differently about things, we all may think differently about things, but we all have to behave ourselves. You can think what you want, you can feel what you want, but everybody has to behave themselves. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying humble yourself. And he's saying keep alert because in that, in those anxieties and in those transitions, that's where Satan will find his foothold and that's where he will cause more problems than the anxiety itself. Um, In Peter's message, there is a mention And by the way, this is one of the ways we deal with this is through perspective. And this this calls us back to what we just said at at the beginning here. That God is the one who is eternal and unchanging. And if we can keep our perspective on God, if we can keep our perspective on the chief shepherd, then we know that things are going to change in the church. 
good or bad, regardless of how you feel about it, there are going to be transitions, all right? But what you have to do is look to the chief shepherd. Notice how Peter responds to this. And he's talking to churches that are going through times of transition and times of anxiety and persecution. He says, Christ is the one who gives the crown of glory. He's the one who is constant. He mentions Christ and calls him the chief shepherd as an example for the shepherds of the flock. And this should remind us that shepherds are not just managers of a perfect church. They are shepherds who tend to a flock that is growing, that's struggling, that's moving from one generation to the next. And the goals are never reached in this world. We can't reach some point of perfection where we say, look, we'll do all this in about five years and then we'll just coast. You never get there. That's not going to happen. That's not God's goal. God's goal, according to Peter, is that you're going to lead the flock, shepherds. You're going to be the flock, church. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's when the rewards are handed out. That's when the crown of glory is given. The other point to that is this. That all of the other goals and efforts that we, may, that we can set for ourselves and set for ourselves as a church, they may be useful, They may be worthwhile. They may be really good goals, and we need to do some of that. But they're all going to fade away. They're not eternal. All of the things that a church or a mission effort, it all serves an end, which is that that anticipation that we have, waiting for the chief shepherd to appear. And if all of the things that we do don't serve that ultimate purpose, then why are we doing them? Why are we putting all of our investment in that? But if we will turn those things towards glorifying God and waiting for the chief shepherd to appear, then we'll find out that even though those things may fade away, they'll be redeemed when the chief shepherd appears. Let me, I want to make this very concrete, and I'm not going to be very eloquent about this, uh, but I'm just going to, I'm going to say this, because this is one example of many that I can come up with. Uh, you take, for example, how much time and energy that we put into the building and resources here. I'm thankful that we have this. I'm thankful, very thankful, you know, personally, that this church has decided that you know, paid staff is, is part of the way that we're going to accomplish the mission of God. Okay? That's created the opportunity for me to work here with you. Uh, and by the way, as good as all of that is, we need to attach it to the eternal goals. Now, At the same time, I don't want you to think that the things that we do with all of the resources that we have here are meaningless. These are resources. And one of the reasons that we have these resources, and and this this reminds me of what I said at the beginning of uh, of, of the worship service today, that there are people who have gone before us, generations who have gone before us, who were visionary who saw the, 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 the possibilities of what could come about if we had a, a useful building here, if we had useful resources here. And they invested that vision, and they invested their time, and they invested that energy. And one of the transitions that we're going through is that the generation who saw that and invested in that are now passing the torch to other generations. They're passing the torch to people who have just moved here recently. And it makes us grieve a little bit because some of those who were with us and inspired us, they're not with us anymore. 
But we must always find people who can carry on what has been done. You know, we have a group, and you may have seen them around here, and it's a new thing. Uh, uh, I don't really know what they're called, and and I'm not too worried about that. They're the design group or the design team. I'm going to go ahead and tell you who they are. Uh, Jordan Brown, who's right up here in the booth, and he helps us with these resources so that you can hear this very well and so that these messages can be uh, preserved on audio. Rachel Snyder, Darren Chilton, uh, Lou Winchell, and uh, Bill Camp, and who am I forgetting, Bob? No, I'm not. I got them. I think I got them. All right. But that is, I love that group of people because what they're doing is they're going into this saying, you know what? People have done some things in the past. We want to now be the stewards of those resources. And they're not, they're not making policy. They're dreaming about the future. They're thinking about what do we need to do next? And by the way, we're not leaving it just to that group. We're pulling them aside so that they will lead the rest of us in thinking about this. Now, let me say this, because I want to go ahead and name this just in case. I know that when I start talking about things like this, it can make us very nervous. Can I, what do I need to say to you to dispel that? That because, oh, preacher's talking about transition. Preacher's talking about design groups. Up, oh, the fix is in. There's no fix here. There's no fix here. I love you and I respect you, and I want to talk about these things. Because anxiety can be very real, and transitions are very real. And I want to know how we can move through these transitions, not just get to the other side, but use these transitions to serve God and glorify Him. Okay? And I don't have all the answers. <laughs> That's a big revelation, isn't it? And, uh, you know, and I don't make all the rules. There's another big revelation. Okay? But I've been around long enough to know that we need to trust in God and we need to trust in Him to show us what is possible. Because one of the, th- the third thing that Peter says in all of this, if you read that text very carefully, and when we think about looking for different shepherds and investing people in leadership, we may comb through that and try to find, what does he say about finding a shepherd? What does he say about God? Look at that first. Embedded in those verses in 1 Peter 5, he says, God is the one who restores, supports, strengthens, and establishes the church. Not the church is some institution apart from us, because that is not a biblical thing. There is no church apart from our relationship with one another in God. We are the church. Have I said that before? We are the church. Okay? So, we have resources... They're kind of like our clothing and equipment, okay? If you think of us as a people, this building and the resources we have are our, are our resources, are, are things that we use to, to do God's purposes in this world. But the resources that we have, the talents that we have, the life that we have together, the blessings that will be passed on from one generation to the next, it is God, the eternal God, who in a transitional church restores that transitional church through times of transition and change, supports that transitional church through times of change, strengthens that church through times of change, and establishes that church in any situation you can imagine on earth. You know, one of the things that you see that gives glory to God is that no matter what the environment is around of people, God's church can thrive there. You can have the most hostile nation on earth to Christianity. Nations that are just absolutely opposed to the way of Christ. And still, God's church will thrive in those situations. How is that possible? Because it's God who is the eternal one. Who restores, supports, strengthens, and establishes the church. 
So Peter's word to us about transition is this. He says, number one, be humble in your dealings with one another. Let's not instantly assume that the preacher's trying to get the fix in. Or let's not instantly, and by the way, I don't want you to do that for my sake. I don't, I don't care what you think about me, really, okay? I don't want you to do that because I don't want you to miss out on the kind of life that God is calling you to where you will be happy and you will be blessed, and even in difficult circumstances, you can know what God is doing, and you can be a part of his purposes. I'm not not doing this for my sake. I'm doing this for you, okay? I want this for you. I want this for us. I want to see the possibilities of what God can do as he works through our lives. Let's not instantly assume that one another, that we're all intending to be disrespectful or all, that, that others are up to something sinister until we know let's treat one another humbly. And even when we do know, let's still treat one another humbly with compassion, with love, not ignoring the seriousness of sin, but encouraging one another to repent. That's a kind of change that the church ought to excel at, repentance. There's much tension in the church, not, not just this congregation, but I'm speaking generally. There's much tension in the church today, groups that find themselves in opposition to one another. I remember when I began studying ministry, and I knew there was something wrong when I would go into conversations and people would say, well, which side of the issues do you come out on? I said, wait, I didn't know I had to pick. You know, I didn't know I had to decide. And after a while, you find out that trying to pick sides and choose up sides, it it honestly, when it's within the church and it's turning the church against one another, and it it gets the church off of God's purposes. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that that are absolute, things that we need to depend on and preach. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the idea that we would make enemies of one another. Last week, I shared with you the word from Revelation 12. Know your enemy. Your enemy is the devil. Your enemy is the evil one. Peter says that as well. You be humble in your dealings with one another. Let's go over it one more time. Some of you may not have missed it. You you may have missed it last week. When you're rolling that gospel chariot along, if the sinner's in the way, what do you do? You stop and pick him up. I don't want to see you running over sinners. I know some of you do when we sing the song, but don't do it. But now when the devil's in the way, what do you do? You run right over him. Resist him. Maybe you're not just being mean. You just might be getting away from him, okay? And if he's in the way, well, that's his bad. Peter says resist the devil. He describes him as a prowling lion. A lion is subtle. It, it prowls. It looks, for someone, it looks for prey to devour. Sometimes when we think the devil is doing something, we're not, we're, not really, we're, not, we're not really seeing the devil at work, okay? The devil works secretly. He prowls. And, and one, of, one of Satan's greatest tricks is to deceive us. One of his weapons is to deceive us, to keep us from recognizing that he is the one that we need to be resisting. He will convince us that we are doing God's will and we will roll right over anyone to do it. Resist the devil, says Peter. And, but what about those anxieties? What about the cares that we still have? You're going to have them. They're going to be there. 
But isn't isn't Scripture great because Peter says, cast your cares on Christ. That seems kind of unfair. Hadn't Christ done enough? You know, hasn't he already borne all these burdens for us? Yeah. But the message is, he cares for you. He cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you very much. Why will we cast our anxieties on other people when we can cast them on Christ? Now, we, you know, Scripture also teaches us that we, we bear one another's burdens. But the only way we're able to do that effectively is if we also take our anxieties to Christ. I, I want us to continue to think in, in, you know, always about how we do that and what that's going to look like. Change is going to happen. And God will help us through the transitions of life. And what we often have to manage is not the change that we can't control, but we can manage our anxieties and our reaction to those changes. And we can keep alert, focusing on being disciples, following the example that Christ has set for us. I've spoken very generally But there are all sorts of transitions and changes that happen in the church. And one of those, it's going to become, and by the way, there's a lot of them that we could talk about, but we don't have the time this morning. But one of those that we're going to be seeing very soon, I would say even now, is this transition to name other shepherds. We do that because this is a normal, healthy process in a church body. We don't don't do it because we're responding to a crisis. We're doing it because we have to acknowledge that there are shepherds. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about the way that the congregation does this. And if you've never been a part of this before, don't let that make you anxious, okay, if you've never been a part of it before. In fact, I want you to know that we're going through a time where we will really see God working through the life of this church and encouraging the kind of transition that causes maturity and growth. I want to ask you to take very seriously what you will see on the front page of your bulletin. And if you haven't seen this yet, I encourage you, pick one of these up and take it very seriously. Because over it gives you a timeline of what we're going to be doing. And the first thing I want to charge everyone here to do is pray. We go to God and we ask Him to provide. Will you make some intentional time to pray with one another? Will you make some intentional time just on your own to pray? Let's be humble before God and ask Him to give us shepherds who will help all of us grow to become more like Christ. Why do we need shepherds? Well, if you read this text in 1 Peter 5, one of the things that you see is that shepherds are not some sort of elected officials who lord it over the church. This isn't the election season. Now, in fact, next, next uh, Sunday, you're going to see all of our shepherds up here, and they're going to talk to you about their experience of being shepherds. And I'll tell you right now, this isn't an election process because we have fewer shepherds than there are candidates in the Republican primary, okay? And, and we're not looking for people to be in charge. What we're looking for are people who can model and exemplify Christ so that we can all grow. They've grown to this point. We want to grow along with them. As Peter says, they are not lording it over the flock. They're not, they're not brusque and totalitarian and, and, and rude, ruthless. Okay, They are shepherds. 
who care for the flock the way, by the way, you cast your anxieties on Christ. Why? Because he cares for you. Likewise, shepherds care for the flock. Shepherds are not elected representatives. They're not our people in power. They're not our people in government for the church that we want to vote a certain way. Shepherds in the church are never representatives of anyone but Christ. They represent the Lord. They're supposed to be examples. We see in shepherds men who have lived a life very similar to what we believe the life of Christ is like. And good shepherds will never tell you that they're perfect. But they'll tell you, like Paul told his churches, follow me as I follow Christ. Shepherds are the kind of people, this is kind of a good thing to say about transitions. When you are in a time of transition, you need a leader. You need someone who will show you the way. And we want the wisdom of men who've been equipped by God to lead us. And let me say this too. Just like that design group I mentioned and so many other volunteers, people on staff, shepherds are not the beginning and end of all leadership in the church. The, the, the power and the authority in the church is Jesus Christ. He is the monarch. He is the king. He is the head of the church. And then he empowers and equips others to lead all for one purpose, to build up the body of Christ so that we may grow and accomplish his purposes in this world. We're going to be talking about this more and more in the weeks ahead. And I want you, above all, to be prayerful. And I want you to talk to one another and encourage one another in this. And I want you to think about who it is that encourages you to live more like Christ. Because that's what we're calling people to. Someone here today, you may may be going through anxiety. You may be going through struggles. Have you brought your struggles and your anxieties to Christ? Sometimes what that looks like is that looks like going to someone who can be a representative of Christ. That's why our shepherds, uh, a few of them will stand up here. Because they want to pray with you. They want to walk with you as you take your anxieties to Christ. That's why they'll be in room 100 right back there. One of the things that we do too is we encourage one another to follow Christ because we believe that He has taught us the way to really live in this world. Whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, the way of Christ and the life of Christ is what God intended for us to be. That's how He intends for us to live. And it's where He's going with all of this. And if you need to put on Christ in baptism, we can do that today too. Let's stand, let's sing, let's encourage one another right now.